back to the Zach Evans Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I am really excited about this episode because the explanation you're about to hear is something that I have been trying to figure out how to explain for a really long time. As a pastor, I've had people ask me a question similar to this many, many times over the years, which is something akin to, how do I know that I really believe the gospel? How do I know that I actually have put my faith and trust in Christ. And in that question, there's an assumption that faith in Christ, trusting in Jesus, is somehow more complex than the simple act of believing. That there's more to faith than just the willful act of putting my trust in Christ. And here's what I'll say about this as a preview of the episode. Yes, And no. Belief is simple. Faith is simple. When the Bible says to believe the gospel, to trust in Christ, to place my faith in him, that is a simple act that anyone can perform. Anyone can perform that action. And they need very little information in order to believe. The gospel is simple. It's really not even that much information. The act of faith itself is simple. But behind that simple faith, and this is what the questioner is kind of driving at, there is a hidden complexity. You know, when you believe in Christ, a lot of things happen. You are accessing this amazing redemptive work made possible by Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And that plan, of course, spans the annals of time. It goes all the way back to before the beginning. And and yes, when you believe, that simple action is only made possible because of a hidden complexity behind it. And here's where some people get tricked up, is they begin to examine that hidden complexity, and it's like entering into a maze that is so profound, and, you know, there's different corridors splitting off of this hallway, and they realize the vastness of the complexity of, we might say, the chemistry of faith. When we take faith as a substance and we we look at it underneath a microscope, we realize all the beauty and the wonder and the majesty behind this simple action. And we're overwhelmed and we think, well, I mean, then did I really believe? Because I didn't understand all of this. I didn't understand all of this complexity. We're going to make the case that you don't have to understand the complexity of faith itself in order to perform the simple act of believing. Now, We're going to split this up into three different explanations, all under the heading of the chemistry of faith, the idea of examining faith kind of underneath the microscope. And we're going to answer a lot of different questions, but this week we are going to examine the relationship between the simple act of believing, which anyone can perform, anyone who wants to, whosoever will, may come. But then also we're going to kind of begin to understand the relationship between that simple act of believing and the hidden complexity that faith is built upon that makes the simple act possible. I'll explain what I mean, and I really, really think that if you'll give me a fair hearing here, this will be a very, very big help to you. So without further ado, we'll jump into part one of the chemistry of faith. Enjoy. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 8. And Paul, here writing to the church at Ephesus, he says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
want to focus on that word faith. We're saved by grace through faith. And this week, I want us to begin what's going to be at least a two-part examination of the concept of faith. And I want to focus on something very specific, pretty much just one explanation of how to think about faith. And then that's going to lead into a second discussion, which is going to be about a more specific approach, which asks this question, asks and answers this question, which is, what constitutes saving faith? What exactly is the faith that saves? So we wouldn't say that every type of faith is saving faith. Blind faith, ignorant faith, right? Um, Those are not saving faith. What is saving faith? Well, before we can get to that, I feel like we need to have some preliminary discussions about faith. And this explanation I'm going to give you, it may not be helpful to you. I really don't know. It was very helpful to me. Because um, here's something that I've dealt with a good many times as a pastor, which people ask you questions like, well, what does it mean to, to like believe the gospel? Like, what does believe mean? It's like when it says that we're saved through faith, well, what, what, what exactly does that mean? How do I know that I actually believe the gospel? How do I know that? How do I know that when it says that you put your trust in Christ, like, how do you do that? And before we get into exactly what I'm going to call the chemistry of faith, which is examining, examining it at almost like a molecular level, like what is it made up of, which I think is the best way to approach it. And, but before we do that, I'm going to discuss something I think very specific, um, which is the relationship between simple terms like faith. Faith is a simple term. Faith is a simple idea. The faith that saves is simple. It's simple. The gospel is simple. The relationship between that simplicity, which is very easy to understand, and then the complexity that's underneath that, that we can explore, but that we don't have to understand in order to believe. Does that make sense? That's going to be our approach. Faith is simple. Behind that simplicity is a complexity that makes faith possible. Understanding that complexity is fascinating, interesting, worthwhile, but not necessary to believe. And that's kind of what I'm going to focus on this morning. So we're going to begin our study on the topic, the chemistry of faith. We think about those words, for by grace are ye saved through faith. Many an ancient, ancient, excuse me, many an ancient and a modern mind has tripped over those words. There's something in us, this carnal pride, if you will, that wants to affect its own salvation and a carnal mind as well that we have that I think balks at the simplicity of faith as a vehicle of God's grace. We don't like that idea. There's something in us that resists that. And I want to explore that a little bit, but I do think that there's an interesting contrast with Paul. If you examine Galatians and Romans and then compare them with First and Second Corinthians, you get two very different approaches by Paul. You could also put Ephesians, perhaps, in the Corinthians category. And what I mean is that Paul graced us with very complex explanations. Romans is very complex. It's incredibly complex. If you credit Paul with writing Hebrews, which I don't, Hebrews is also incredibly complex. Galatians deals with very complex material. It's earlier than the others. It's, I believe, the earliest epistle. But um, it's also very complex. 
1 Corinthians, though, he takes a different approach. And he says exactly that. And Corinthians demonstrates Paul's belief that the gospel does not have to be explained in a complex way. The gospel can be believed in simple terms. Now, you're looking at a guy that likes the complex explanations. I like that. I enjoy exploring that. But you don't have to explore any of the complexity behind the gospel in order to believe it. And the proof of that is Paul's letter to the Corinthians. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, this does not mean that complex explanations of biblical truths are unnecessary. Romans is proof against that. It means they're not necessary to believe the gospel. And there's a certain kind of person who can be tripped up by complex explanations and it actually lead them to trust in reason or man's wisdom or a man's wisdom in the case of Paul, like the Corinthians would have been disposed to, instead of simple faith in the Word of God itself. And Paul understood the Corinthians' inclination to trust man's wisdom, specifically philosophy, more than the Word of God itself. In the second letter to the Corinthians, he continues to advocate for the simplicity of the gospel. He says this, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, listen to this, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. In Christ there is simplicity, but there is also infinite wonder and wisdom and incredible complexity. He's an infinite being. That's true. However, listen to this, however, Satan can, can very craftily shift our minds away from the simplicity of biblical truth into endless complex explanations that leave our minds shrouded in doubt and fear. Now you're looking at the complex explanations guy. That's what I enjoy doing. But there's a liability in that, that you begin to trust the explanations more than you do the thing itself. I'm not trusting in my explanation of Christ. I'm trusting in Christ. He's a person. I'm not trusting in my ability to explain things. I'm trusting in a person, and his name is Christ. So there is a fine line, for example, between genuine questioning and pointless curiosity, and they lead to very different places. You can see this with your children. Genuine curiosity in your child or a child in your classroom is productive when they're genuinely curious. Because when you, someone's genuinely curious and you give them the answer, they're satisfied. They go, thank you for that. Two plus two is four. I've always wondered that. I appreciate that. But when someone is not genuinely questioning, but just indulging in a pointless curiosity, there is no answer that will satisfy them. It just keeps going on and on and on and on and on. Calvin said this. He said, Men's minds, when they indulge their curiosity, enter into a labyrinth. And so let them yield themselves to be ruled by the heavenly oracles, even though they may fail to capture the height of 
the mystery. That's good advice. Curiosity leads us into a labyrinth out of which we might not escape. And we protect against this by embracing the simplicity of the gospel. We embrace it in simple terms. Now, here's a question. Why does human nature balk at simplicity and instead desire complexity? Because I think we do. We resent the simplicity of the gospel. Paul specifically says that. It's foolishness under the Greeks, he says. They look at it and say, uh, what? That's foolishness. That's ridiculous. Who would believe that? Paul says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. He says, no, you're foolish because you won't believe the simplicity of the gospel. That's evidenced in their idol worship, for example, that they believe in a God that they can't see, and then they try to manifest him in wood and stone. And Paul says, I mean, if we're God's offspring, then we're not wood. He's not wood. We're not stone. He's not stone. What are we doing? Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools because they won't embrace the simplicity of the gospel. Now, why is that? What is it in human nature that prefers complex systems over simple solutions? We give you two things, two reasons why that is. First, because complex systems appeal to human pride. Complex systems appeal to human pride. That was the original sin. The original sin was essentially pride. And I don't want to oversimplify it, but I do think that that is the case, at least in majority, we might say. Mankind rejected the simplicity of obedience of God's command to abstain from the fruit. And instead, what did they do? They indulged in the temptation to elevate the human intellect to the, to the level of Godhood. That's the temptation. Ye shall be as God's what? Knowing. Knowing. Oh, so it's elevating the human intellect to a position of divinity. Oh, wow. It's the taking on of omniscience. It's thinking that you know everything. Satan said, your eyes shall be opened, enlightenment, and ye shall be as God's knowing good and evil. He offered enlightenment and quote-unquote, allegedly, divine knowledge as what? As a substitute for simple obedience to the simple command of God. Okay, so there's something in that. Think about that. There's something even in the garden, in Adam, there's a vulnerability in his nature to prefer this hidden wisdom, this unseen complexity, and to fully embrace that in his intellect as opposed to just obeying in simple faith. You could say that that tendency is present in Adam in the garden, so we shouldn't think it's not present in us today. Satan hinted that there was a hidden wisdom locked inside the fruit of the tree, a shrouded complexity that God was withholding from man to keep him tame and stupid. That was the idea. And this temptation still works today. So God gives all men everywhere the simple command to believe the gospel. Everyone. It's a simple command. Believe the gospel. That's partly what Paul is referring to in Romans when he mentions the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. So it talks about obeying the truth of the gospel. That's not talking about works. What's the command of the gospel? To believe. That's the command. Obey that. <laughs> Obey. Humble yourself and believe. That's the only form of obedience that God accepts. And it's not merit. <laughs> it's not merit to lay hold on Christ as a result of the command of faith. So we're to obey this call of the gospel. Now, how do we do that? Through simple faith. That's it. 
But if it's simple faith, then man cannot exalt his own moral goodness. If it's all of grace, it's none of man. But the whispery voice of the serpent says what? Yea, hath God said, the just shall live by faith? I mean, come on. It's got to be more complicated than that. No, it's exactly that complicated. It's exactly that complicated and nothing more. It's contained in those simple terms. Believe, believe, and thou shalt be saved. Believe the gospel. Put your faith and trust in Christ. There's that much to it and not a bit more. Man is saved by simple faith through a simple message in a saving Christ. I always think about when I think about the struggle between complex systems and simple faith, I think about Martin Luther. He's the perfect embodying of somebody who wrestled with this. He was somebody who truly sought forgiveness through the sacramental system of the Roman Catholic Church, and almost compulsively, to the point that he was confessing, I mean, almost moment by moment, minute by minute, his sins in real time, and he wanted his priest, uh, Stoppitz, to be available to confess all of the time. Stoppitz is like, I got other things to do. Like, eventually it got so bad where Luther's confessing every little thing he possibly is doing or might be doing or might have thought, every desire, every little thing, that Stoppitz told him one time, said, listen, bring me something worth confessing. Like, you don't have to, he said, you don't have to repent of your indigestion. <laughs> it's not a sin to be constipated, he said. That's literally what he told him. So stop confessing every little thing. Uh, Luther visited Rome, and of course, he has this naive reverence for Christendom, right? And he believes that when he gets to Rome, which is the crown jewel of Christianity, that he'll see just abounding piety and righteousness everywhere he goes, but he finds the exact opposite. He finds wickedness and debauchery even amongst the priests. The priests are soliciting prostitutes, and of course, uh, you, he thought about the idea of house of prayer being made into a house of merchandise where you have all of these people capitalizing off of people's fear and trying to monetize their faith. So while he's in Rome, one of the things that he does is he visits the, I'm not going to say it right probably, but the, the Scala Sancta or the Scala Santa, I believe. It's called the Holy Steps. And these are presumably the steps that Jesus walked up as he approached Pilate to be judged. And the teaching was, or the belief was, that if you went up each one of the 28 steps on your knees, and on each step you prayed the Our Father prayer, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You pray that on each and every step on your knees. When you reach the top, a soul will be delivered from purgatory. And so Luther, I mean, who would pass that up, right? Who would pass up the opportunity to rescue a loved one from purgatory? So he does that. He gets down on his knees and he prays on each step. He goes up to the second step and the third step, all the way up to the top. But after he ascended the steps where the very feet of Jesus had trod and got to the top, he felt no closer to God. And he looked back down and here's what he said. He said in his heart, who knows if any of this is even true? Who knows if any of this is even true? It was nine years later. Nine years later, while sitting in the tower of Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, Luther was wrestling with Paul's assertion in Romans 1.17 that the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by his faith, which 
Paul is pulling from Habakkuk. The just shall live by his faith. And in a moment, as he's wrestling with this idea, the truth of the gospel sprang into his conscience, and he saw the simplicity of justifying faith. And after years of spiritual spiritual turmoil and a failure to find peace in the complex systems of the sacraments and in penance, his heart rejoiced in the simplicity of the gospel. The just shall live by faith. When Luther realized this, he said this. He says, Here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. By the way, this was years after he nailed the 95 Theses to the door. I believe two years, if I'm remembering properly. That was October 31st, 1517. This was sometime in 1519. This was a long struggle for this man, which showed, listen to me, the grip that these complex systems had on his heart. But he found no hope. He found no peace. He found no relief in the complex systems, only in the simplicity of faith in the gospel. Faith is a simple concept. That's what we need to understand. The gospel is simple. It's very little information, relatively speaking. It's a simple concept, and it needn't be obscured by unwarranted complexity. I see people do this all the time in their explanations of the gospel to lost people. They unnecessarily complicate it. You don't have to understand everything to be saved. You have to understand the gospel to be saved. Now, the second reason that human nature prefers complexity is because it explains our way our previous failures. The reason why we like complex systems is because it gives us a reason, a justifiable reason, an excuse for why we failed all this time. I'll give you an example. Weight loss, oh boy, wrong time of year to talk about this, okay? Weight loss is simple. You burn more calories than you take in. It's really simple. So you'd think that those of us who, including myself, need to lose a few pounds right now, that we would just eat a little less or eat less dense calorie foods, exercise a little bit more and get into a calorie deficit, burn more than we take in and lose the weight. Simple. No coach, no book, no program, no plan, no system needed of any kind. But we don't like that. We don't like the simplicity of eat less, eat better, walk. Have you tried walking? (laughs) We don't like that. Instead, here's what we have done. We have turned weight loss into a $160 billion industry in the United States. In one year, in 2023, the projection was that the U.S. adult population would spend $160 billion trying to lose weight. And that's not on cutting their grocery bills by eating less food. It's by buying crash diets, buying books, courses, pills, all of these kinds of things. Okay, why do we prefer these complex systems as opposed to the simple solution? Because if the problem and the solution are incredibly complicated, that explains why I failed so far. Because I didn't have the right information. I didn't have the right book. I didn't have the right system. I wasn't watching the right guy on YouTube. I wasn't listening to the right podcast. But if the solution is simple, then I'm without excuse. Then I have no excuse. And I don't. I don't have an excuse. The simplicity of the system is a... (laughs) 
There's some conviction on the back row. The simplicity of the system is a mirror that reflects back to me my own lack of responsibility. If it's symbol, the problem is me, not the system. Can I tell you something? The gospel's simple. And it's simple that it might leave men without excuse. Nobody goes to hell because they couldn't understand a simple message. Nobody goes to hell because the gospel is too complicated. And sometimes we obfuscate the gospel by making it too complicated. Simplicity does not appeal to our pride or extinguish our guilt, but humbles us and shows us our failure to simply obey. All men are responsible to the message of the gospel. They are able to respond. Think about that word, responsible. Able to respond to the call of faith in Christ. And those who do not believe fall short, not because they fail to understand the complexity behind the word believe, but because they simply refuse to do it. John 1, he lighteth every man that cometh into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Okay, so we prefer complicated things over simple things. Faith is simple. The gospel is simple. And we don't need to overcomplicate it through endless explanations and pointless curiosity. However, let me say this. That does not mean that there is no complexity behind faith. That does not mean that the gospel behind it, hidden behind it, we might say, in its infrastructure, if you break it down into its little mechanisms, that there isn't a very complicated process going on. There is. You know, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens. I think one theologian pointed out like 70 things that happen to you the moment that you accept Christ. Like 70 different things. That's that's incredible. It's, It's amazing. But you're not aware of any of that when you believe. When you believe, you're tapping into a hidden complexity. And the complexity has to be there for the simplicity to believe. That's what I want to explain next. It's an irony of life. Listen to me. This is really important to understand. It's an irony of life that complex structures must exist to support simpler ones. You need to understand this. For something simple to exist, underneath that simplicity, there needs to be kind of a hidden complexity. Does that make sense? Without the complexity, the simple thing can't really exist. The human brain, for example, is very complex, and for good reason. But here's what I can do. I can dwell too much on that complexity to where it is confusing and not helpful. For example, if you spend your time thinking about the fact that 98% of your mental faculties go on without your knowledge or consent, 98% of your brain's processing and the things that it does, you have no control over. Your consciousness operates in the 2%. That can lead you down a very dark road as you have your nose deep in the textbook, your neurology textbook, of saying, I mean, do we even have something like a free will? That's where that type of line of thought leads. It's like, well, if 98% of what happens in my brain goes on, I don't know about it, then how can I honestly say that that 98% is not controlling my behavior and not the 2% that I'm conscious of or able to control. Okay, but here's the thing. So you have just accessed the hidden, complex, the hidden complexity behind consciousness and being. Man, there's a lot there, a lot there. But that skepticism is jettisoned and gotten rid of the moment you step outside of the study and you live in the real world and you commit a crime and you sit 
in a judge's courtroom and the judge sentenced you to prison, you say, wait a sec, wait, 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 I'm not, I can't control anything that I do. Don't you understand? 98% of my mental faculties go on without my knowledge. I don't have a free will and neither do you. Well, we all operate on the assumption that we have a free will. And that skepticism can only exist with your nose deep in a textbook. The moment you leave the classroom, you live as if you simply have a free will. Here's the other explanation. That complexity exists so that the free will can be supported. I think that's the actual explanation. You have all of these unconscious, complex, amazing things happening, and the exploration of those things does not lead me, should not lead me to the conclusion that I don't have a simple free will. I am just seeing the complexity behind a simple free will. So you see how sometimes dwelling in the complexity can lead you to question the thing itself. You do this with faith too. You get so caught up in explanations of faith and the hidden complexity that sometimes you start to question the thing itself. And I'm going to show why that's foolish and why we shouldn't do that. The complexity of the brain exists, for example, so the simple function of being can be accomplished. Here's another example of what I mean. So a light switch is really easy to operate. It's very, very simple, right? So all I do is I flip the switch. That's it. Now, I'm not an electrician. I cannot tell you exactly what happens when I do this, except that it's dark and the light is out. And I definitely can't explain to you what happens when I flick it on. But the action of turning the light on and off is simple. But behind that simplicity, there is a hidden complexity that makes the simple action possible. And the purpose, listen to me, of the complex wiring in the walls and the circuit breakers and out to the street and then the street to some other power station, that power station to the power grid and how that thing runs, I have no stinking idea. I heard somebody say that if the power, if the power grids were not maintained, uh, I think it would only be like <coughs> two months or 30 days before all the power in the country shut off. Like if, all, if everybody died, like all the lights would turn off in like a month. Because somebody has to man the power grid. How does the power grid work? Where do they get the electricity from? I have no idea. I don't know how this works. All I know is when I flip the switch, the light comes on. That's all I know. And the purpose of the complex wiring isn't to get lost in electrical diagrams, but to turn on the light. That's the purpose. The purpose of all the complexity is not that I might endlessly explore the complexity while groping about in the dark. All of that complexity, think about it, all the complexity in the world, this amazing infrastructure we have that supports our electrical system leads to this thing right here, this little light switch. And then I can access that hidden complexity very simply by going, that's incredible. That's unbelievable. Faith is the same way. There is an unbelievable complexity behind faith. There's an unbelievable, unbelievable infrastructure behind faith that doesn't go all the way back to a power grid, but goes all the way back to before the beginning of time in the being of God himself. Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. But watch this. I don't have to understand any of that to believe. When I believe, I access or put to use the hidden complexity behind the simple act of faith. So believing in Christ is simple. I believe, I trust, I place my faith 
in him. That means exactly what you think it means. And yes, there's a hidden complexity behind the walls of faith that make believing possible, and we can explore them to some extent. But listen to this statement. Understanding the complexity of a mechanism does not make it easier to operate. So understanding how complex, well, you could say about a complex mechanism, that's, that's true. But understanding the complexity of simple systems doesn't necessarily help me to better flip the switch. I either flip the switch or I don't flip the switch. Understanding the complexity of the mechanisms that make faith possible do not make believing simpler or easier. They don't. In fact, through my curiosity, I can enter into a labyrinth where I get so lost in the complexity that somehow I lose what it means to simply believe. And the proof is, like Paul said, that there was a concern with him amongst a very philosophically-minded culture, you're going to get lost in endless explanations, and you're going to reject the simplicity of the gospel. As turning on the light puts to use the complexity of the master electrician, so simple faith puts to use the complexity of the redeeming work of Christ. Complexity is necessary for simplicity to exist, but life is not lived within the blueprint but within the walls of the home. Okay, so, however, when we do begin, and we should from time to time, I believe, this is part of what Bible study does, when we tear back the sheetrock inside of the house of faith, if you will, and we exhume the infrastructure of faith, the complexity can be overwhelming. I've had conversations with people where, you start explaining some of the complexity behind some of these systems and it makes them feel very uncertain because they realize, well, I didn't know that. I don't know that. Wait, did I need to know all of that to be saved? Uh, no. Did I need to understand all of those Bible doctrines and all of those things in order to trust Christ? No. Trusting is simple. How trust works, very complicated. Trusting, simple. Faith, simple. Breaking faith down to all of its constituent parts and the complexity that's accessed by you believing in the redeeming work of Christ. Complicated, amazing, wondrous faith. Simple. Sometimes, Spurgeon pointed this out, the simplest terms can be the most difficult to explain in detail. Faith is simple. It's very simple. But when you ask somebody, what is faith? It's a question they haven't considered because it's implicitly obvious what faith is. We all do it every day. Faith is simple. Faith is easy. <laughs> Faith is easy. The act of believing is easy. We do it every day. We do it implicitly. For example, ask someone to define beauty. What is beauty? Well, I mean, we all know what it is implicitly, right? We all know what it is by experience. But when you ask somebody, explain to me what beauty is, you realize, oh my gosh, there's a hidden complexity behind beauty that I never realized. That's true. That's absolutely true. And not to mention the tangled web of complexity, but you also have the issue of subjective experience that, making defining, that makes defining beauty much more difficult than experiencing it. Take uh, Pilate's question, what is truth? Great question. What is truth? Pilate was not an uneducated, dense man. This was a smart man. He understood, listen to me, the labyrinth that lay behind the question. He was stuck in that labyrinth. 
Pilate was stuck in complexity and couldn't find his way out and then says to the one in whom simple faith would rescue him from that, from the shroud of doubt, he asks him, what is truth? But that's a question we all ask. Okay, but we all know beauty when we experience it. No one has to explain the concept of beauty when they survey a dramatic landscape like the Grand Canyon. When you look at something like that, you don't have to ask or answer the question, what is beauty? You know it by doing it. You know it by experience, experiencing it. And I'd say this, it's not even helpful in that context to break down the concept of beauty as it will probably lead to a lessening of the experience itself. Does that make sense? So if you're standing there examining a great landscape and you're like, man, it's so beautiful and your friend's like, yeah, but I mean, do you understand how beauty works? What? Well, I mean, beauty is a combination of novelty and familiarity. So something is familiar enough to elicit a feeling of sameness, but novel enough to, to, elicit, to elicit a feeling of differentness. And it's the symbiosis between sameness and newness that creates in you a sense of wonder. And, and for example, if you saw this every day for the rest of your life, it would lose its beauty to some sense sense in you because it would become too familiar and you have to introduce more novelty in order to, to maintain the, 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 the brilliant yin and yang, if you will, of beauty. You'd say, could you shut up? <laughs> could you leave me alone and just let me look at this thing? You ever see people who are in a museum and they're not impressed with the things that you're awed by? Like the dude sees the Mona Lisa every day. It's just some chick on the wall. <laughs> it's no big deal. Okay, so breaking down the concept of beauty doesn't necessarily help us to experience it. Not really. In fact, sometimes it can get in the way. And in fact, if you are thinking about how beauty works as you're trying to enjoy beauty, sometimes it ruins the beauty. You ever think about that? I read a book called 4,000 Weeks by, it's a fan, you should read it. It's a productivity book. It's very good. And uh, a guy talks about that he went to see the Northern Lights. And he waited, and they didn't see it the first day, didn't see it the second day, and the third day, finally, they arrived. So he runs out of the tent, looks up, and he goes, I mean, it kind of looks like a computer screensaver. Like, that was his thought. Like, he wasn't that impressed. He wanted to be so bad, right? He was almost trying to force the experience of beauty. But he had seen it so many times in images and seen it so many times on the computer and heard about it so much and whatever. Then when he walked out and saw it, he's like, hmm, I'm going back to bed. So forcing... The experience of beauty is not a way to experience beauty. The same is true of faith. Faith is not like this, I believe. It's like, no, faith is very simple. It's very simple. So you think about truth. We might struggle to answer Pilate's question in detail. What is truth? We're like, uh, I'm, uh. Okay, but we all know what the truth is when we're sitting on the witness stand being accused of a crime. Nobody sits there. We're like, did you murder Josh Smith? Uh, no, I didn't. Like, you don't sit there and go, what is truth? Like, you know the truth. You either did it or you didn't do it. And we don't wrangle about these things when they're important to our experience. All right, the same is true of faith. You may not be able to define it at length, but listen to me. There's no need to explain it at length or understand all of the hidden complexity in order to believe. There is not. The thief on the cross did not have the time to understand all of the hidden wisdom in Christ. He just needed to believe the gospel, and he did. In fact, listen to this statement, there's probably no way to understand faith but by believing. 
There's probably no way to understand faith apart from the act of believing. Here's what I mean. Faith is simple. To complicate it unnecessarily obfuscates the gospel. Listen to this statement. Telling someone to believe is like telling someone to breathe. We implicitly know the meaning because it is a function of existence. If I tell you to breathe, you don't sit back and go, okay, what did they teach me in eighth grade biology? No, you just go, and you don't understand all of the things that happen when you breathe in and breathe out. Can you explain to me how oxygen is converted into CO2 as you inhale and exhale? Can you explain that process? Can you explain how oxygen travels to different parts of your body and up to your brain through the act of breathing? Can you explain how the lungs uh, expand and contract in order to push air in and out? Can you explain that? No. Do you need to explain or understand any of that to go, no, no. It's implicit. Everybody knows what it means to breathe. But here's the ironic thing. Like breathing, when we direct our focus too much on the action itself, it can actually make it difficult to perform. You ever had that weird moment where you're like, oh my gosh, am I breathing? Where you're like, okay, well, I've been breathing all day and I didn't think about it. Now I'm thinking too much about my breathing. So like, and you feel like you have to sit there and breathe or you are going to die. It's funny how almost everybody has had that experience. It's very odd. You're focusing so much on something that is so implicitly easy that it actually makes the action more difficult. You could do the same thing with faith. I mean, do I really believe? I mean, what does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to trust? I think I believe. No, just believe. You know what it means to believe. You do it every day. You do it in a million different circumstances. And here's a preview of next week or maybe the week after is simple faith in Christ is like the simple faith you have in a lot of other things. In fact, the dative case in the Greek when it says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is a, uh, is a way to express placement. Place your faith. Jesus is located. Jesus asked the disciples, where is your faith? Where did you put it? Where did you place it? So when the Bible says believe on Jesus Christ, it means take your faith from wherever it is and put it on Him, which means that you have simple faith in something else. And the simple faith you have in something else is the same simple faith that you then place on Christ. It's simple. It's not hard. You believe in a lot of things. And so we need to believe in Christ in relation to the gospel. Now, to be clear, faith is not, I'm not saying this is a perfect analogy, faith is not something that just happens without an act of the will. But here's what I am saying. Much of what involves faith is so built in that when we break it down in all of its little parts, we see the complexity of that which is so simple, and this can cause confusion in us or even personal doubt. And I've heard many people say, how do I know I really believe the gospel? Or what if I didn't understand enough to really believe? Here's the problem with those questions. Listen to me and I'm done. Those are not bad questions, but they suggest that there's more to faith than the act of believing. There's nothing more to faith than the act of believing. For example... What's the purpose of a watch? Tell time. To tell time. I like watches. I'm a watch person. And in my watch, for example, it's called an open back. So you can see the movement in the watch. This movement is incredibly complicated. It's amazing. There's all kind of jewels in here. This is an automatic movement, which means that 
It is powered by me and my movements. Why it's called a movement is because it's it's run by the movement of the individual who wears it, which is really cool. It's a device that's powered by a human as they wear it. That's pretty amazing that we created something like that. It's much cooler than like a battery-powered watch. This thing is run by that movement inside. Now, here's the deal. I have no idea how that movement works. Not really. But the purpose of the watch is not to understand the movement. The purpose of the watch is to tell time. That's the purpose of the watch. And the complexity of the movement allows for the simplicity of looking down and saying, oh, it's uh, 1045. That's the simplicity. Faith is the same way. There's a hidden complexity inside of faith that makes the simple act of believing possible. So I don't need to understand how all of the gears of a watch work to tell time. Likewise, I don't need to understand the chemistry of faith in order to believe. And when I place faith, as we're going to next week, when I place faith under the microscope of analysis, faith proves to be just as complicated as beauty and truth and a lot of other concepts. Concepts. There's a lot of complexity behind that. However, but you cannot tell time by examining the movement. No matter how much you understand about faith, you are still brought to the point to where you either have to believe or not believe. Period. End of story. And examining all of the complexity inside of the watch and breaking it down. Listen, if I take this thing apart too much, I won't be able to tell the time because I've destroyed the movement through analysis. We can do the same thing with faith. We destroy it through analysis. We examine it to death. I've talked about people who interpret verses to death. <laughs> they kill the truth that's actually there through over-interpretation. We do the same thing with faith. Just believe. Just trust. It's simple. It's easy. And don't get too sidetracked by the amazing and beautiful and wondrous complexity that lies behind the simple act of believing finish with these statements. As life can only be understood through living, right? Clearly. Faith can only be understood through the act of believing itself. How could you understand what it means to be alive without being alive? You can't. So how can you understand faith without believing? You can't. The act of believing is its own explanation. This does not mean there's not value in examining the chemistry of faith. We're going to do exactly that. But it does mean this, that a chemical analysis of the concept of faith is not necessary to believe any more than a degree in biology is necessary to breathe. I don't have to understand the lymphatic and neurologic systems of the body in order to breathe and think and be. I don't. And with that in mind, next week, we're going to turn our focus to that chemical analysis of faith, and we're going to place it under the microscope of Scripture to then break it down and examine that complexity. But the reason I wanted to begin with this is because I don't want you to get lost in that complexity and go, well, I didn't understand any of that when I believed. I'm not an electrician, but I know how to turn a light on. Faith is simple. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us five stars and a glowing review. And make sure you're following the podcast so you get new episodes sent directly to your phone every week. Don't forget to connect with us on social media at the Zach Evans Podcast. God bless.